Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. A Scottish football podcast that isn't obsessed with just two teams. Niche nonsense. Or surprisingly brilliant. You decide. The Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. The cult Scottish football podcast now adapted into a hit TV show. Search the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast on your chosen podcast player now. Good afternoon, no good morning, and welcome to the Chels. Well, here we are. We're into the last fortnight of this weird season. Um, so, yeah, we've just had news that Manchester City have uh, had their ban overturned. We now know what we've got to do. We've got to finish in the top four. Um, and to discuss the sort of very strange week we've just had, it's Mr. Andy Saunders. Hello, Andy. Hello, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. Um, sort of uh, digesting this morning's news about Man City. And I guess in some ways, at least now we know for sure we have to finish top four, don't we? I don't, I don't think anybody really thought thought that they would just coast into four. I mean, I always thought we had to finish top four. I always felt this would get overturned. I had nothing to base that on apart from a you know a, a gut feeling. I had no legal precedent to base it on, but I always thought we had to finish top four and that that it it might not go through. So I think anybody that kind of counted on on a top five finish being good enough was slightly deluded. Yeah, I th- I think the people who were counting or hoping on top five were probably the teams like your Wolves, your Sheffield United, uh, and now Leicester. But we'll talk about them more later on. But um, yeah, so you weren't surprised. Um, I- I'm glad it's all over now. At least you know it's it's it, we've got clarity. Um, well, the, the way City were talking last week and the way Guardiola was talking last week with an, with an awful lot of confidence made me think that they had 
had either been tipped the wink or were very, very uh, sure that their legal case was watertight and, and that it wouldn't happen. So, yeah, well, I, I mean, I look forward to going out and spending £500 million on a defence now that, you know, <laughs> fair play doesn't matter anymore, apparently. Yeah. I mean, it makes UEFA look stupid, doesn't it? Again. Well, Again. You know, they just look completely toothless and pointless and um, not fit for purpose. Because if they can't make financial fair play stick in this case, what is the point of them? No, I agree. I, and I think there must be people, and I should imagine they probably, I, I think like you, I have a feeling people have some kind of inside track. And and things change with the conversations that you were hearing out of Man City. You're right, in the last few days, there seemed to be a confidence that was coming out. So I guess what the halls of UEFA have been like the last few days, I don't know. But I do think... They need to have a long, hard look at themselves because it's it's embarrassing for the game, really, that you have all these rules and all this pompous attitude, rightly or wrongly, with City. You know, I, I have no idea what went on. I don't really care. But I think the people who organise our game surely need to have a long, hard look at themselves and the rules they come up with and have to work out exactly what it is they're doing. You know, there's... Just such an air of, I don't know, indecision and then crazy decisions coming well, out of look, UEFA. I think it's more than that. I'm going to say it. I think it's corruption. I think it's just wholly corrupt. Because if you look at the really big financially powerful teams, if it's Real Madrid or Barcelona or PSG or in this case Manchester City, there does seem to be one rule for them and one rule for everybody else. And this has been going on for years. And I think we all know that the UEFA has been the subject of all sorts of investigations. And you can't help but think that this is bent. It's just bent. And and it, it, you just think, what a shame for our game. What a shame that we can't have a rule that cuts across everybody and that basically if you can afford the best lawyers in the world and you can throw legal firepower at it you can get anything overturned yeah it it does seem to look like that and look i'm 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 sure we've not exactly ever been holier than now as a club but it is kind of like trying to keep up the with the joneses and if this is the way it is then you're right we should go out and spend 500 million pounds on anybody that seems to be very good (laughs) You know, it's, it is a, a nonsense and it's a mockery, isn't it? But it is what it is. And I, as I say, I've always felt that we had to finish top four and that's got to be our objective moving forward. Yeah, it, it has. And, and maybe uh, later on in the programme, we'll have a, a little look at the, the run-in because it, it, it is quite interesting. And, mm. you know, um, we'll see. So where are you in the world at the moment? You're, you're up in Norfolk, aren't you? I'm in, I'm in Norfolk, sitting in my kitchen in Norfolk. Yeah, it's the first time I've been able to get up here since lockdown. It's been an absolute joy. And what's it been like? Because you, you've been integrating, haven't you, in society, as it were, up there? Um, well, only, only in the sense that, you know, I've been out and about. Uh, we had a nice little uh, street food market in our village up here, which was nice, with a few DJs, but it was all nicely socially distanced, which was good, and... Did a bit of fishing and I've been to the beach and I actually went out for Sunday lunch at a pub, sat outside at our pub yesterday and uh, had Sunday lunch, uh, which was nice. First time I've eaten out since lockdown as well. So all sorts of firsts, really, in the last three months. And the weather's been kind. I've slightly done my back in, which is a bit of a pain. Um, but apart from that, it's been fine. It's been great. I've enjoyed it. Oh, and and has it made you realise just how much you've missed these things? Because sometimes you don't realise how much you miss things until you do them again. 
Well, there's that, and there's also the fact that my, I think everybody, not just mine, I think everybody's world has been so small during lockdown and that you haven't really had a chance to to see other horizons or other other be in other environments and so just being in the big sky of norfolk which as you know is a very flat landscape so you get big sky just changing your your horizons and your landscapes has been really good for the soul i mean i've just found being able to take the dogs for a walk on a beach or going out into a forest and and just seeing different things than my garden and my office and my house and my local shop has been brilliant. I've really, really loved it. It's been great for my mental health. Yeah, well, I, I think that's the other thing. You know, <laughs> nature does something incredible for for the heart, the soul, and the spirits. And um, yeah, I'm, I, I I've been lucky, as you know. I live in the middle of the countryside here, so uh, you know, I've I've seen things like that all day. It's the same things, but it doesn't matter. You just get something. There's there's an enormous uh, to use a <laughs> a line from a song, an enormous sense of well being. <laughs> 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 have you been watching phil on uh celebrity MasterChef? yes i have indeed phil daniels our old uh partner in the chelsea podcast triumvirate who's who's gone off and and well not gone off but just become incredibly busy and is no longer part of of what we do but he's been appearing on on british uh reality cooking show celebrity MasterChef. he's doing all right isn't he yeah he is he's doing he's doing very well and uh, i think he's taken them all by surprise hasn't he because he seems like you know that that person owner that he he shows the the cheeky chappy and slightly shambling yeah you know and actually he he makes some very nice dishes yeah it does help that dom isn't very good yeah <laughs> yes it does you know people who don't live in the uk have no idea what we're talking about no but, uh, but anyway it's a reality cooking show and phil's doing very well on it so well funnily enough that master chef goes around the world every country pretty much has got its own version of it i'm gonna say it's got its own version of master chef isn't it so yeah, hasn't, uh, hasn't got our version necessarily. No, and they all all the different countries have different people judging it. It's like right. uh, Rick Stein does the Australian one. He okay. pre- he presents the Australian that. one's pretty good actually. Yeah, uh, I don't know if he's still doing it, but he was he was on that for a long time. So mm. uh, yeah, it just it just goes to show it's a it's a hell of a hell of a format. And who was it who came up with it? It was uh, Frank Rodham, wasn't it? I have no idea. I think it was Frank Rodham. Uh, he's a director didn't he do uh quadrophenia um, oh, okay. um yeah he came up with a format i think it was frank rodham but, it's funny actually because there's a there's a little notice in the in the pub that i had sunday lunch in the walpole arms in itteringham uh which is near me up here in norfolk which i think the producer or the original producer of MasterChef opened the pub so or was the, certainly the landlord of the pub for quite a long time so there's a connection with that as well yeah, well, and there you go. It's just a shame the football's been so awful. <laughs> what to ruin, to ruin my holiday? Oh, do we actually have to discuss the football this week? Yeah. I, I suppose. I suppose we probably should. In fact, um, talking of that, that that leads me into my next thought, which was it's been so awful for us that I actually couldn't watch any other football this weekend after after saturday but i I guess we should go back a few days shortly um one bit of news that came out earlier this week was that um tammy abraham extended his contract by a year so he's he's at chelsea for three years it may not possibly be the deal he was looking for because it doesn't increase his wage hugely um it's not on parity with say um hudson adoy but at that kind of at least shuts everything up for a while doesn't it with an extra year on three years to go 
we can all work out what we're doing, can't we? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the good thing about the extra year is obviously it makes him feel a little bit more secure in the squad, but also what it gives us is a little bit more muscle in the transfer market should he be surplus to requirements for any reason. I'm not saying that he will be or he should be, but should we, for example, sign another top-class striker and he falls down the pecking order for any reason, then having that extra year on the contract increases his value for us. Um, But yes, if we were look at it positively and say he's going to be vying for a starting place in the Chelsea first eleven, then yes, having having him tied down to a three year contract is good because it means that, you know, we have a little bit more time to integrate him and work with him and make sure that he fulfills the potential that he obviously has. Yeah, and it allows us both parties to do that dance for an extra year. You know, he has no idea how things are going to pan out. If you've got people coming in like Timo Werner coming in and things, you know, he's been Hot and cold through the season when he's on on well, a he hot was very, streak. He was very hot. Yeah, he and was. Now he's, and and you know he scored. He scored in the week. Um, <laughs> and he scored a good goal in the week. But I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what Frank wants to do with that front three and how he wants to play it because he's going to have three amazing players in Pulisic, Zayek, and Werner. And he's also going to have Tammy. And how's he going to integrate? I mean, yes, it's going to be a long season. There's going to be lots of games. There's going to be a level of rotation. But are those players going to be happy to be rotated? I think these are lots of unanswered questions that are going to unveil themselves over the next 12 months. I think if you're a successful club, it's easier to cope with those sort of issues. I think... If we have more of the same next year as we're having this year, where everything is a bit hit and miss, hot and cold, um, I think it's harder to keep your players happy. You mm. know, so so look, we we all know this is inverted commas a transitional year, and we don't really know enough yet to to ascertain just how good the squad could be how good Frank could be and where we're going. You know, there are so many questions that we have to put a lot of them on hold until we see one summer of, you know, transfers, Frank working with the team at close quarters. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it is a very mixed season. And, you know, do you think it's been a successful season? Um, it's funny. I was I was talking to somebody who reminded me of something I said at the very beginning of the season. Um, where, when they said, "What what would you be happy with this season?" I said, "If we don't go down, I'll be happy." Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think we've all got, and maybe because of the break we've had. The microscope, we have all so much time to look through the lens and the microscope at our team and its inability to do certain things correctly, to behave in a certain way for 90 minutes. Um, that actually, I, I think we need to step back in certain ways and go, yeah, look, whatever happens, I think it has been a success because I think we have found a lot more about players we never knew about. Frank has had a year to to work with them. I still think somehow we will end up in the top four. If that happens, I think it would be a huge success. Um, I mean, how do you feel? Do you think it's a success? I think if you do, you think we still have to make that decision in a couple of weeks' time. I think if you'd have given me where we are at the beginning of the season, I would have definitely taken it. 
I would have definitely sort of said, yeah, that, that you know, with this transitional year and the players we've got and a new manager and transfer ban and all those other things that we knew we had to contend with, I think I definitely would have taken sitting third, um, you know, with, with three games to go. Definitely would have um, definitely would have taken that. I just think it's a sense of disappointment, the fact that it's so close now, it's, it's within our grasp and we don't seem to be able to rise to the occasion when we really need to. Um, and the, the style of football has been very poor since the lockdown. I think that's just us getting ahead of ourselves, though. I mean, we've only won 18 games this year out of 35. 17 games that we've either drawn or lost. We've lost 11, drawn 6. I mean, that's not good by anybody's standards. I mean, there are positives to take out this season, but it's also highlighted a lot of negatives. Our defence is poor. There's no two ways about it. Our goalkeeper is poor. We've got players that haven't really pushed on or developed some of the young players are looking slightly you know static at the moment they're not progressing in the way that we thought maybe maybe they would so there are question marks all over the place that hopefully with new players coming in with more players to be bought with Frank Lampard learning as he goes along will be resolved as we move forward I don't think we can judge Frank Lampard purely on one season and certainly his one season in the Premier League um, and I don't think that we can judge this team against what what's coming in. I think we've got to give it another season before we sit down and, and really do a, a report on Frank and what he's achieved and where the team is going. Um, so, it's, so it's a very long-winded way of saying, yes, I would have taken this at the beginning of the season, but now I feel a slight sense of disappointment, maybe that, unjustly. Yeah, but that, that's understandable because as football fans, when, once you start seeing things go well, when it goes wrong or badly as as it has in so many times when you think we're about to kick on and we've gone one step forward two steps back I think it's only natural to to feel that sense of disappointment I think I think didn't you I saw some tweet of yours um last week I think is you know everyone has just got to keep a control on this because this is not the team it will be next year and and next year will be different. And, and uh, along those lines, which basically yeah. is saying what you're just saying there is that this is what Frank has, has inherited considering what he inherited, what he's done has actually been remarkable, but there are huge question marks about if we want to go into the defense side of things, we can. Um, well, I think we will as we discuss yeah. the games. Uh, look, I, I think Leicester did us a huge uh, favor yesterday by getting battered by Bournemouth, um, which nobody saw coming. Um, can can and- I just say that the only football I watched was I accidentally flicked the TV onto Bournemouth when they equalized? Right. And, and then I watched and went, no, no, this this can't be. Because when they went, I, I was just keeping an eye on scores and saw they'd gone 1-0 down. I thought, well, that's it. Nobody's helping us this season. And then I, I was just transfixed and, um, you know, um, wondered, well, why on earth did we sell Dominic Solanke? No, just well, kidding. I'm no. joking. But, uh, you, you know, know he, he, they, they just fell to pieces. Leicester fell to pieces yeah. and, and, and have done, you know, since the, since the restart. I had a big cushion and that's gone. Now, I can't see Manchester United tripping up against Southampton this evening which means that we will drop down to fourth I would imagine but who knows Danny Ings is in form he's scoring goals there's a possibility that you know that they could drop points there but I can't see it Manchester United look very strong at the moment Um, but the, the sort of slightly depressing thing after the Sheffield United result was that we could if Leicester hadn't tripped up yesterday have finished fifth 
by by the end of this evening um, outside of that top four. So, so that, I think, was, was very annoying. Um, and that's what I mean about the sense of disappointment. It's so close. It's so within our grasp. Only three games left. Um, and if we can just put a couple of results together, we should, we should be fine. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, I said a couple of weeks back, nine points would, would I think, do it. Um, I actually think... Since then, we've got three points out of the ones that we thought. Um, and I think possibly three points, maybe four, would definitely do it. I don't, I don't think six points is necessary now. Um, I do think the way that it's shaping up is that Man U will finish third and we will finish fourth. That, that's my kind of gut feeling watching the way Leicester fell apart and seeing the fixtures they've got to come I mean well the good the good thing of course is Man United and Leicester have still got to play each other that's yes. the that's the absolute ace card that we have up our sleeve is that one of those teams is going to drop points yeah and you or know both of them are going to drop points if it's a if it's a draw well if you, if you want to know Leicester have Sheffield United at home not that yeah, I that's, think that's not that's not easy no it's not Spurs away that's their in form at the moment, particularly yeah. at White Hart Lane. Uh, and Man U. Yeah, I mean they've they've got they've got the strongest or toughest uh, run in. So I fear for them, to be honest. Yeah, and we've got Norwich tomorrow, which we have to win. Well, there's, there's, <laughs> I mean they are awful. They're useless. They were useless when we played them at Carrow Road. Uh, I went to that game, and that's when Tammy got a hat trick. And uh, they've been useless since, and they are. You know, adrift at the bottom of the table. They've got 21 points this season. They're nine points from safety. If we can't beat Norris, we don't deserve Champions League football next year. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. If we lose tomorrow, I am not ever going to talk about football ever ever again <laughs> that's how i feel because you, you're absolutely right you know that's a, that's should be a banker i hate saying that but you know and stranger things have happened once teams are relegated oh, listen, and the you, pressure's can, off. you can lose any football match yeah there's 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 you know there's no such thing as a banker we could lose any football match we could lose to norwich what i'm saying is if we lose to norwich tomorrow we don't deserve to finish top four because yeah. they're useless and we have to beat them and then of course we've got wolves and then we've got Liverpool. No, we got we, no, we got Liverpool next week. We got the cup final, uh, yeah. semi uh, semi uh, game against Man U on Sunday. Then we've got uh, Liverpool next Wednesday, and then last game is Wolves at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Liverpool will be tough, but you know they won the title. They might we've, be cruising by then. They might not give a damn. Yeah, they might be on the beach by then. Other than they hate us, so let's hope they are on the beach. Um, and then United have got Southampton tonight. Tonight, Palace away. Who knows what Palace will decide to do? Anything could happen there, but I, I still fancy United for a win. Then they've got West Ham uh, at home, and then they've got Leicester away. Um, well, the only thing about West Ham, of course, is they are still fighting for their yep. lives. They're on 34 points. They're only three points above the drop zone um, with three games to go. You know, Bournemouth won. Watford are, you know, Watford are looking a little bit stronger than they were. Villa, I would say, are, you know, are, are still slightly in the mix. Norwich have gone. So, you know, West Ham are still fighting hard. You never know. I mean, they beat us. So, you know, so, so who knows? Yeah. But- I mean, it's, it's interesting. I mean, look, I'm, very, I'm very pleased in some ways that there is a level of jeopardy still about the last three games and every game is exciting. But it's not fun to watch if you're a Chelsea fan. No, I've enjoy, enjoyed these games at all. They're edge of the seat, you know, nail-biting nightmares. I, I was enjoying it when we first came back because I was naive enough to believe it's going to be absolutely fine. They're not going to give us any heartache or headache or scares. And That's you all over, that is. Yeah, it it's is. The naive. 
<laughs> positivity, mate. Positivity. <laughs> you want to you want to adopt a misanthropic view of life like me? You'll be much happier in the long run. The hope no. that kills you, mate. It's oh, always the hope that kills you. <laughs> Please, God, don't make me like you. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, okay. Well, let, let, let's go back a, a, a few days. I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, you don't, you only have time to be miserable for about two days at a time, or happy for two days at a time. I do and like then, all this football i have to say it is nice having all this football even if you don't watch it you've got something to go oh look at that score oh look at yeah i i think football should be played over a a very dense period of a few weeks forever Um, i'm very i'm very very interested in the games that affect us so i was incredibly invested in that leicester uh that leicester game yesterday against bournemouth um but I watched the North London derby and I didn't really care that much. Um, and obviously our games I'm incredibly invested in. But you're right, I, I don't really care an awful lot about the other games unless they affect us. Yeah. I'm not watching get football for pleasure because it's, it's just not the same, is it? No, it's not. But the, the point is, when you've got a season like this and with the way there's bunches and clusters of teams all together... There's a lot more games to actually be invested in at the moment. Okay, we've we've seen Wolves have tailed away a bit, and and Sheffield United up until they played us looked as though they they dropped as as well. But there there was an awful lot more games to be interested in. Normally, if you're in the top four, you're looking out for one of the other sides, and that's it below you. And and well, we've still got so we've, we've got a five five point lead on Wolves and six point lead on Sheffield United. I mean, it's not. Beyond the realms of possibility that they could, they <laughs> no. could catch us. You'd have to say Tottenham are out now because they're fifty-two points. They're they're eight points behind us, and Arsenal ten points behind us. So you'd, you'd have to, I think you'd have to rule out Tottenham and Arsenal. But listen, I, I don't think there's any room for complacency. We absolutely, it's, it's such a massive game against Norwich. It's huge, <laughs> and I think we have to win well. If we can win well against them, that should set us up for those for that Liverpool and that Wolves game. Yeah, you know, I mean the, the United game, the FA Cup game, you know, whatever. If if we can win, that's a bonus. I mean, I'm all about the league now. Yeah, well, the, and Bayern yeah. Munich, I'm not even going to watch. We're well, three, well, we're yeah. three nil down in that one. So yeah, but no you know. buts. That's just going to be horrific. <laughs> yeah, but there's the other side. Look, here's my naivety coming out. We could go there. They won't have played for six weeks. That's true. And, that is true. <laughs> so we could go there and. We could just have one of those riotous occasions. You know, we have done it before in their stadium. Who's to say we can't do it again? <laughs> we weren't 3-0 we down there. No, oh, OK. Technically, <laughs> technically, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. But and they were brilliant as well. I have to say, they were, they'd absolutely ripped us to shreds at the bridge. The, they were the best team I've seen us play this season. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, if you've got a wobbly defence, the last team you want to play against is Bayern Munich, to be honest. Yeah, no, I mean, they, they had classy players all over the pitch. I mean, OK, we didn't help the situation, you know, but um, we let them get right at us. But, yeah, they, they were fantastic to watch, sadly. Mm. <laughs> they, it was one of those games, you're watching it going, oh, my God, they're so good. Oh, my God, I really hate this. <laughs> it was yeah, kind of, you know, it, at the end, you just go beaten by the better side. And that I've never, ever worried about in life. You know, if you get done by the better side, so be it, you know. I don't think there's many Chelsea fans coming out gnashing their teeth and wailing and pulling their hair out after that. I think everybody came out shrugging, going, wow, they were really good. Much as I hate to admit it, they were 
phenomenal against us, and we just caved um, because because they were quality. But you know, we'll see. We'll see. Who knows? You know. This, again, I've said it earlier. You know, any, anybody can lose a game of football. Any crazy things can happen. Crazy yeah. things have happened, and you know, we always keep the faith, however naive and uh, slightly immature that may seem at the time. Yeah, well, let's hope that that kind of uh, strangeness doesn't happen until Wednesday and after. <laughs> let's yeah. let's keep it, you know, together for Tuesday. All right. Well, look, let's let's go back a few days and have a quick chat about Crystal Palace. Uh, for me, this was sort of a real microcosm of our season. We we start off well. We're starting to look imperious. We we play beautifully. And then it all starts to fall apart. And that, that seems to be the sort of the story of our season. 90 minutes is not in our DNA at the moment. No, it was an interesting um, lineup as well, because obviously we had Kante and Kovacic injured for this game. So it looked like you might think about Jorginho, but Jorginho was on the bench in the midfield was Barkley, Billy Gilmore starting, um, I think only his second game of the season, and Mason Mount. And you looked at that and you thought, that could work, it might work, or it might just get run through. Um, he kept the same defence uh, as the previous game, James Christensen, Zuma and Azpilicueta, um, and went with Giroud instead of Abraham in the centre-forward role with William and Pulisic either side. So, yeah, slightly interesting um, Interesting uh, team selection. Um, and as you say, it started off well. We started off well. And after six minutes, Agent Cahill was uh, was activated. Uh, pulled up with a with a oh. poor poor lad. Pulled up with a hamstring injury. William just um, rounded him, carried on, cut the ball back. And Giroud poked it home after six minutes. And we were 1-0 up. And what did you think about that? There was nothing wrong with that. You have to carry on in that situation, don't you? Yeah, you do. Because it's one... Look, you, you can tell certain things when you should stop. But... A, they were alongside each other. He would have just seen him fall over. He wouldn't know. People say, oh, well, Giroud should have said something. And No, because it, it could be, otherwise you'll get players falling down all the time, pleading. You know, there, are, there are certain moments where you go, I can see, you, you know, when you see a player get a dreadful injury, other players know immediately, you know, if it's, if it's like a, an Alvinger Haaland or, or one of those, or the Gomez, the Everton guy, you, everyone stops because they know. They just yeah, know. Yeah, Canio famously yeah. picked the ball up, didn't he? Is that exactly? This yeah. was not in that sort of league. Uh, no. Yeah, it was. It was terrible. He did his hamstring in that way. It's horrible, and you you could almost see it twang as he was trying to walk off. Bless him. Yeah, he looked um, like he was shot, didn't he? Yeah, absolutely. So no, uh, nothing to see here. Nothing to talk about. It, it was just unfortunate, is what I'd say. But you know, we, we need unfortunate moments uh, at, at this moment in time. So. And we were and we went on and we you know we played very well and then in the 27th minute you know William just laid the ball off to Pulisic and you know Pulisic did what Pulisic does he was dead eyed he was ruthless and you know arrowed the ball home um, from 18 yards and and we were 2 nil up and everything looked peachy keen at that point yeah and then we got into the second half I mean okay there, there's something that's now come to light which actually certainly affected the game and, and this is something I'd like to talk to you about and see what you think um, Billy Gilmore got injured in the first half. Now, mm. Frank has come out and said he saw the moment happen um, and he could see what had happened. 
and yet he played on for, I think, just about an hour more. Um, is this inexperience in the coaching staff not to realise that a player may say he's fine, but should it be up to the medical staff to determine the reality of the injury? Now well, he's Gilmore out actually, for months. He, he ended up playing 80 minutes. Jorginho yeah. came on as a substitute in the 80th minute. Um, and you're right. I mean, I think that's poor management. I don't understand why when you've got... Um, you know, Abraham, uh, sorry, when you've got Pedro, you've got Loftus-Cheek, you've got um, Hudson-Odoi and you've got Jorginho on the bench. Why you don't protect a young player who's obviously struggling? I thought that was terrible game management. Yeah, and the, and the worst thing is, because we don't know what's going on, we're going, oh, look, he's fading from this game. Oh, no, and he was. He was he was suddenly not the player that had started out, and now we know why, because he was injured. And I think and, both both parties to blame. The player is yes. to blame by not going, I'm not performing at 100%, you need to sub me off. Um, and I guess you can put that down to keenness and naivety and a, you know, a, a desire to prove themselves in the first team and hold on to their first team place. I, I get that, but it also shows a lack of maturity not to do that and I think uh, from Frank's point of view I think with all those substitutes on the bench um, particularly like for like substitutes if you see a young player even with the slightest of knocks I think you have to hook them and you have to protect them and say your time will come again get yourself fit and we'll, we'll, we'll play you again but let's not you know let's not ruin you as you say for months on end you know and this isn't the first time this has happened you know we've had Hudson Adoy last year when he did his injury he tried to play on as well can say yeah, Kante. You know, the, the, there are moments where the players are making decisions that really should be coming from the other side of the That's a, man, that's a management thing, and I think that's naivety and immaturity from, uh, from Frank. And also the, the medical staff, because I guess he will have said to the medical staff, what do you think? And they'll have gone, yeah, no, it'll be okay. No, Somebody what somewhere. Said is, what they've probably said is he thinks he'll be okay. Yeah. Exactly, but that, that's the thing, isn't it? These decisions need to be taken out of the player's hands. Sometimes a player can say, look, I really, really, really am okay, and you go with it. But I, I agree with you, I, especially when he started, you know, people were looking at him and were saying, yeah, he's really not up to it like he was in the first half. And, and we know why. He, he was injured, and badly so. Okay. so. It's, it's, it's really disappointing. What do you think of Frank in the last couple of games? Um, I think, I think it's really hard to say. Uh, I, I, I know you want, I, I know think, you're Mr. Positive and yeah. I know you want, I know you want the glass half full view of life. And I think that's great. And you know, that counterpoints my slightly cynical glass half full, half full approach to life. But do you think that Frank has, has performed well as a manager in the last couple of games? I think he's made odd decisions. Um, I think he's... N- I, I want to I, clarify this by saying this is we're not down on Frank at all. No, no, Frank, no, no Frank not at trust. all. I mean, I hope for Frank's going to be our manager for the next 20 years. There's no Frank out or nonsense or any silliness about this. I think it's just objectively trying to look at Frank's performance as a manager in two critical games over the last week. Um, I think he has got certain things wrong. Um, I think th- that's what, what I think mentioned. he's got wrong. Well, I think things like Apart from the Gilmore thing. Well, yeah, I think that's a starting point. Um, I think he's got. I don't know. I don't quite understand why Jorginho seemed to be the forgotten man, then comes back in. Um, he he seems to have lost the thread on what he believes is a side that will work starting out. And this is actually something we've seen quite a lot uh, this year with Frank, is that I think sometimes, and more than often, 
the starting side is not the right side. And I think mm. this has been shown up quite a lot because everyone talks about what great substitutions he's made. You know, oh, he's really brought them on. Well, sometimes some of those people should have been starting anyway. Um, I, I also, so I think he is not getting starting sides right. I think he is, he tries to be a, a, a reactive manager as we saw against Sheffield United which we'll come on to later where he changed mm. the formation but one could say maybe you should have started off that way uh I I, I think he's not starting out in the right way uh and Do you think I he has also- a clear enough vision of what he wants and that you know and the and the do you think he's he's got in his head, the image that he wants to mould this team into? Because I think that's my issue, is that I think he's not clear enough on what Frank Lampard wants from this team in terms of shape. I think he knows how he wants them to play. I think he's talked about having a fluid midfield and having a dynamic press and, and all that stuff. I mean, he's talked about that, I mean, yeah, and that's evident that he wants to do that. But in terms of what the shape and the, the look of the team and the makeup of the team. And I think he's still struggling with that a little bit. Yeah, I, I think he is. I think he's. And maybe learning. that's down to, sorry to interrupt, maybe that's down to personnel that he's got available to him. That, that was my point I was going to say is that I think some of his ideas are let down by the personnel. I, I also think he needs to bite the bullet and get in a decent defensive coach because. There are things happening, and, and you, you know we had a heated discussion about it last week, and I, I'm not going to get into that. How did Christensen of... work out for you? <laughs> <laughs> How did Rudiger work out for you? Well, yeah, there is that. <laughs> they, they all, you know, just when you think they turn corners, they they all do something ridiculous, and you know, there, there's a certain amount where you you would say there are a coaching errors. And then there are also fundamental things you don't do as a defender, which I'm afraid every single one of them has made. And at the moment, the one player who comes out of this looking like a world beater is Tamori, who must be going, thank God I'm injured. I know, he looks like Beckenbauer, doesn't he? On, yeah, he does. Sitting on the, on the treatment table. Um, look, I think that's a very good point. And I've said this a lot on social media this week that, you know, I'm, I'm putting this at the feet of Frank Lampard, you know, because much as I love the guy, and I've said already, hope he's our manager for the next 20 years, and I hope he, he manages to grow and develop as a coach and a manager. Ultimately, the defence is down to him. Not only who he picks or who he buys, but also how he coaches it. And if he can't coach it, he needs to bring someone else in who can. So if he's going to uh, lose faith with the defensive personnel he has, he needs to go to Marina and buy new players. If he's going to keep faith with the defensive players he has, he needs to coach them better or he needs to find someone who can. So ultimately, it's on him. It has to be on him. And people turn around and go, oh, you can't coach them because they're not good enough. And, you know, on, on you know, in open play, there's an element of truth about that. You have to execute the manager's desire and wishes. And if you can't do that, that's down to the player. However, shape and set pieces and how you defend them and how you set up for those set pieces, how you set up for crosses... Um, is about coaching, but also how you transition, how you bring the ball out of defence. Because if you look at a couple of the goals in the last week, they've been losing possession uh, in in our half at Crystal Palace. The goal that the, the, the Crystal Palace's first goal, Zaha's goal, was a direct result of Rhys James losing the ball in our half and and having a and Zaha having a free run at our defence, who were backing off, um, and then hitting a bit of a worldie. 
Yeah, so I, I think that there is an there is an element of coaching about that, and a few people have kind of flamed me for it and said, "No, it's because of the players." And yeah, I don't think the players have have been good enough, and I don't think they have executed what the manager wants. But I don't think the manager or the defensive coaching staff, whoever they are, have done their job well enough. No, I, w- I would agree with that. And I, I think this is the fundamental flaw in everything about Chelsea as a football club at the moment. The one thing we know, all great teams have a great defence or one that grows together, that they become, you know, I, I think so many problems have started from from Frank suddenly losing faith or a player not doing something right. You know, look at the start of the season when Zuma and Christensen started that that run together, and then then suddenly it became Tamori, and uh, you know it, it's chopped and changed all the time. I, There's I been understand. no consistency. No, There's there been hasn't. no consistency, and and you build defenses on consistency. Exactly. Now you could say, well, look, he's been let down by these players, but you could also say, well, surely at some point you have to decide how you're going to set up that centre of defence more than any other area probably in the pitch and possibly mm. the way we play midfield uh, and then coach them to within an inch of their life and say, this is what you do. Let's do this over and over again. Because if they are coaching them like that and the players are still making the kind of errors that we've seen from normal bog standard crosses where suddenly you've got two central defenders not marking anybody and not even doing it in a zonal kind of way it it doesn't make sense because if you look, yeah if you look at our successful defenses you know trophy winning defenses Ivanovic Cahill Terry Cole or you know or whoever uh, Carvalho Terry Cole Ferreira you know they, they were kind of picked themselves every week with you know Peter Cech sat behind them for years and I think that we know we know what the problems with our goalkeeper is I mean, we know that that goalkeeper, Kepper, is is probably not the long-term answer for Chelsea Football Club for all the reasons we don't want to go over again and again, but, you know, him not coming for crosses, him not dominating his penalty area, him not instilling confidence in that defence. But if you keep changing the defence week after week for whatever reason, you're never going to get some consistency in the shape or some consistency in the reading of the game. And it's very, very difficult to, as you say, coach them so that they are well-drilled. Yeah, and and I would say that this is another reason why I like listening to Chelsea games without the crowd sound, because you hear so much. You may not pick out the words, but you can hear how much talking goes on in in the back four and with the keeper, and there's very little. It's mm. it, it's it's quite silent. Well, it's the uh, lack of leadership all over yeah. the pitch. I and mean, when we get that, this, is something we've been going on for years now, Kerry. Yeah. Where are the leaders? I thought Rudiger would be the leader, but he's just not risen to the occasion. As Piliqueta, I think he leads by example, but I don't think he motivates all the other players on the pitch. Who else is there on that pitch that could be a leader? No, I, I, I think this is the problem. I think some of the younger players could become leaders, but they're learning how to be players first. Who, they who can't, do you think could be a leader? I think, I think Mason Mount has got possibly. something about him. Right, yeah. yeah, I think, yeah, but, I think possibly. But does. my point is they're not ready to be leaders yet. No. They're still 19 and 20-year-old kids who are finding their way as consistent Premier League performers, which is think, not going to happen. I think Jorginho is probably a leader, but he's not going to play enough. He's not going to play consistently enough. No, he's not. So, so okay. Last question before we go to the break about about well, this. One, one, one other question I wanted to ask you before you ask me the last question. Okay, should 
Kepper have saved the Zaha goal. <laughs> oh my God, this is the most divisive moment in recent Chelsea football history since last week. Um, <laughs> oh look, it, it's tough. The guy struck it so hard. You know, the, the debate is, would a top, 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 top keeper at least get a hand on it? And possibly a top, 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 top keeper would have got a hand on it. Am I shocked or horrified that it went in? No, I'm not. It was struck so well. And I think you have to be a top, 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 top keeper at the toppest of your form to really go, you know what? I will get something on that. Uh, that's, you, you, at first thought, you say, oh, it's straight over his head. How does he not save it? And then you look at it again and you just go, come on, just give the guy a break here. You know, there, there's far worse things that could have happened. So, yeah, I, I could see why people would suggest that maybe he should. And I'm saying a top keeper gets possibly a hand on it. I'm not saying they're stopping it because it was a pretty ferocious shot is, is my thought. What about you? Oh, I agree with everything you said. Everything. I, I think, it, you know, people have an agenda about Kepper. I mean, I have a slight agenda about him. And I think people want him to fail. And they want, they want to amplify their own arguments by saying, see, he should have stopped it. That ball was travelling. That ball travelled 20 yards in one second. It was hit ferociously, had a little bit of swaz on it. You're absolutely right. Maybe, you know, maybe one of the really top keepers would have saved it. I, I'm just, I've watched it 10 times and I'm not having it as far as I'm concerned. It's a world-class goal. Yeah, and I'm saying not necessarily save it, but get a hand on it. Yeah. That, where it goes from there, I don't know because it was hit so hard. You might end up with your hand in the net as well. I, mm. I don't know. So, so yeah, look. Okay, the, my last. There's question. a lot of things to criticise Kepperon. Yes, there are. Necessarily, that was. No, I, I, I think that's right. You know, that's that's just the wrong thing to beat him with. You know, the, the right thing is the lack of commanding presence in the box and the lack of instruction to his defenders. That's. That's that's the main area. So, okay. Can I give you one stat yeah. before you give me the of last course, one? Of course, of course, of course. The average age of Crystal Palace's starting eleven was 30 years and 351 days, the oldest of any starting eleven in the competition this season. Well, we were basically playing a bunch of old blokes. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, then I think we did rather well to, to let go. them have a bit of a game of it. How so gentlemanly. Much. Go on then. What was your last point? Okay. My last point, and it's not a huge discussion, but uh, if you look at our back five Mm. and you can pick and choose any variations of how many of them defensively are good enough at this moment in time to be in our starting 11 next year? Well, if you did it on the last week, none of them. (laughs) Possibly as (laughs) Piliqueta. Um, if you look at Zuma, possibly. If you look at Christensen, possibly. If you look at James, possibly. But are they absolute? You know, are they absolutely good enough to 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 be in a title-winning defence? All of those three that I've just mentioned, they've got a way to prove themselves in terms of because because defences that win titles are consistent. 
you know, we went, I mean, I don't know what the stats are off the top of my head under Mourinho, but didn't we win, you know, didn't we not lose at home for like 80 games or something ludicrous yeah. and, you know, only conceded like, you know, one goal in five years. I mean, like, obviously not, but, you know, I mean, a silly, uh, you know, a, a miserly amount of goals through that defence. You know, we've got we've got a terrible goal difference. Our goal difference is awful compared to everybody else. You know, we've got a, a goal difference of 14. Um, and Leicester City have got a goal difference of 29. And Man United have got 26. How's this 14? We just can't stop. We can score goals, but we can't stop them going in. So you have to put that at the defence and say that defence isn't good enough. No, so, I, you know, are they good enough to go and win a title next year or, or win trophies next year? I don't think they are. No, and that's that's Frank's fundamental problem with his whole side is he doesn't know who's good enough yet. This mm. is a transitional year. What he? I mean, you were very kind. I'm not. I'm not using this as a stick to beat you with. No, you were very right. kind about Christensen last week, but he wasn't very good this week. No, he wasn't. He let me down. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. They I'm all not let using, me I'm down. Not, that's not. I told no, no. you so. But that's just to say, you know, even a player that you were prepared to, you know, put your neck on the line for last week and say, I thought, you know, out of all of the players that he looked classy, that he looked good, he looked controlled. Even he in the last two games just looked poor. Yeah, they, they all did. The- I'm not saying that you know R- Rudiger was awful. You know, yeah. when when he played against Sheffield United, and and you know, but but it's. I don't know. There's there's real real issues there that need to be sorted out, and I know that we're buying these, you know, attacking flair, exciting players in Zayac and Werner and possibly Kai Havertz. You know, but we really really hope that we we invest in our defence with players that are going to be able to play consistently. And what I want is consistency. Yeah. Well, we've got consistency. <laughs> well, you're consistently the poor. <laughs> and any of them can be consistently poor. So, you know, yeah, I'm with but you. hey, we got three points out of that game. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was, that, that was proper, proper, as Fergie would say, squeaky bum time. That, that was just Well, that horrendous. at the very end, at the very end, you know, where, where the header came across going, you've got to give Kepa credit for that. Yes. He got something on that, tipped it onto the post. So, yeah. you know, for all of the faults that we, that we, you know, that we level at Kepa, you know, he saved us in that game. Yeah, he did. I'll give you that. And um, all right. Well, look, we should we should go to the break and uh, then we'll have a little breather and we'll come back and we'll carry on. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr. Bean... And more Steve McQueen. Check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at Cooler dot bike or find them on instagram with hashtag cooler king bike cooler dot bike e-bikes that are cool af and we are back so andy uh next up was sheffield united um mm. what i'm going to do is just go straight to mr nizar kinsella who is gold.com's chelsea correspondent who's reporting for the chelsea from 
Sheffield. Hi all, this is Nizar Kinsella, Goals Chelsea correspondent, reporting for the Chelsea. Um, yeah, just been to yet another game during this lockdown period. Uh, you know, we're relaxing it a little bit, but for Chelsea and for the Premier League, the lockdown rules are still strict, still enforced, still the same, filling out forms, getting my temperature checked on the way in, uh, you know, lots of barriers, lots of security, uh, and then you get into the stadium. Um, all you get is your pass, um, you don't even get a lanyard these days, just your pass uh, and, yeah, maybe a Wi-Fi code that's usually sent to you via email, not much paper, um, and a bottle of water, and that's 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 what you get. You used to get fed at these games and stuff, uh, but that's it. So, yeah, I travelled up to Sheffield. Um, I've been using the trains, actually, so, yeah, I mean, that's been an experience, but, yeah, it's been quite easy to social distance, but two trains cancelled um, on my way up to uh Sheffield, uh, but still got there in time, thankfully. Um, there were other trains, but yeah, a bit of a palaver. Um, you social distance on them and you get there. Um, and yeah, Sheffield, different environment. First time up north since the lockdown as a northerner myself covering Chelsea. It was quite nice to get up there. Um, and I've also never been to Sheffield United Stadium. So yeah, beautiful old ground. I'm sure a lot of Chelsea fans would have liked to go. So I was very lucky to experience, you know, that that, and uh, I guess with the result, they probably didn't want to go. But yeah, it was um, it was a good experience, and you know, nice people, and and traveling around or being in Sheffield uh, certainly was a bit of an eye opener because you know when you're in London uh, now, you see a lot of things open, a lot of shops. Um, of all different kinds, you know, that I wanted a place to get some food uh, when I got there because it's quite a long journey and, uh, yeah, there's nowhere to get any food really. Nowhere was open um, apart from one, like, corner shop on my 20-minute walk to the stadium. So it was a bit of a strange experience, that, and it shows that maybe different cities are experiencing this this thing that we're all going through a little bit different and, you know, what 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 kind of effects is this going to have on the economy of, of towns like Sheffield? So um, I found that um, quite an eye-opening experience because I think, you know, London, I feel, will always bounce back. But will will smaller cities do the same? Um, you know, Sheffield's definitely a working-class city and it was it was quite interesting to see that. But, yeah, um, no, it was, a, it was a good experience. Obviously, Chelsea played incredibly poorly and um, put, their, put their Champions League uh, hopes in doubt. But... Um, yeah, I mean, um, this is kind of like the ups and downs, and I think that Lampard's trying to temper expectations a little bit um, with his press conferences after the game and things like that, uh, remind people that expectations have risen because Chelsea did so well earlier in the season. Um, but yeah, at the same time, you have lost 3-0 to Sheffield United, so it's kind of like trying to find that balance of being like, Frank is right about that, but on the same time, it was an incredibly poor performance, and, and more of that then, you know, you have to question, you know, the players, which are getting blamed a lot. But, you know, what point do you start blaming Frank as well? So, yeah, I mean, I think he's done well overall this season and, and blooded the youth and, and Chelsea are in a healthy place. But um, more of that, then you might start to paint a different picture. But, yeah, certainly these last few games are going to be interesting. Chelsea should win. Uh, the next one against Norwich City and I'll be at that game uh, reporting again so I'll speak to you again soon and uh, yeah I uh, hope you still enjoy my updates um, I'm, enjoying, I'm enjoying telling you these, these stories from the games all the best, thank you
So there we go. He's still up and down, strange trains, cancellations, no one on them. It's a weird world. It's a weird world we're probably not going to see. But um, uh, as he said, it was a very odd old game, wasn't it? The, the Sheffield United thing. This, this is one of those cases where, well, what did you think when you saw the starting eleven? Because, you know, there were, there were some changes. There was a couple of changes, wasn't there? Abraham came in for Giroud and Jorginho came in uh, for the injured Billy Gilmore. Um, other than that, it was the same. He kept the same defence. William Abraham and Pulisic up front, Barkley, Jorginho and Mount in midfield. And you looked at it and you thought, OK, that works. Because one thing we didn't mention about the Crystal Palace game was how good Jorginho was when he came on for that last 10 minutes and how he just looked to integrate into the game really quickly kept the ball kept the ball moving and I just thought that was a fabulous cameo by him in those last 10 minutes um, so I think he, he you know he probably caught the manager's eye and, and came in um, and I looked at the team and I thought well that that should be enough you know that's a little bit of attacking threat there's some steel in there a little bit concerned about the midfield about whether we had enough you know enough to kind of counter the, the runs from midfield but I, I, I didn't think that it would be as bad as it was <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing. We've got it was a, a team horror that show. We're always surprised. Absolute <laughs> horror show from the but, start. We were but terrible. Everything about you, you saw the difference between a well-drilled, well-oiled side that is used to playing together and one that is a case of oh, should he play or should he play? The, the difference, the gulf. In application, I think, application and attitude, never, never mind anything else, skill levels or whatever, Sheffield United showed exactly what you do when you've got it together as a team that understands, A, who they are, and B, what they have to do. And we, we, got, we got given a footballing lesson by them, I think. We've um, scored 36 goals in our 17 away matches in 2019-20. Um, but we've conceded 33 and there's the problem Yeah, is that, yeah, we've kind of sneaked a few wins away from home and we've, we've looked decent. Um, but we just, we just can't, we can't defend or, or properly. And, and when McGoldrick scored that goal after 18 minutes, you just thought, Oh God, here we go. Um, and then the McBurney goal after 33 minutes. At that point, I just thought, game over. There's no way we're scoring three goals against this lot. They're too well drilled. Um, you know, in games like this, you've got to get the first goal. And 2-0 down, we had no chance. And the most depressing thing is we looked like we gave up. Yeah. Just, there was nothing about us. It just heads down. I mean, I don't think that's acceptable. It's not acceptable for Chelsea Football Club to, to believe that they can't win. We haven't, no. you know, and, and for the manager not to be able to get them up and get a performance out of them. And it just looked, we looked a hollow and pale shadow of what we know we can be. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. I think it was a horror show. I, I don't think, uh, who worked? Well, I mean, I, I kind of felt, you know, th- again, we saw this change of formation from Frank, you know. Okay, it's a reactive change. But you think, did you or did you not get your team right in the first place? Well, we know that Sheffield United always play three at the back or three yeah. with, with three centre-backs. You always know that's going to happen. So you have to ask yourself, Abraham against three centre-backs, 
is that was that the right move, or should you have played Giroud, who you know is able to be a little bit more physical in that situation? And also, if you know they're going to play three centre backs, why don't you match up against them? You know, and he didn't, and you know we got ruthlessly exploited down the flanks. Yeah, and actually, my my point about the changes which we're talking about in the first half, reactive. It was way too late. Everything was way too late. Um, I kind of didn't like his substitutions particularly. Um, I thought Pulisic being taken off, that almost felt like, right, we concede defeat here. Um, I'm going to save him for the next game because we ain't getting back in this and I don't want him to get injured or something. That's what it felt like because he hadn't done anything wrong. He hadn't really been given the ball and that that was the other thing. We we were finding that transition so hard crea- to do. We had three creative players on the pitch in Pulisic, Mount and Barkley. We took them all off. Yeah. We took Alonso on. Uh, we took Mount off after 45 minutes for Marcus Alonso, a defensive player. We took Barkley off for Loftus Cheek after 78 minutes. All right, you could argue that was like for like. And you took Pulisic, a creative player, off for Giroud and went two up top. And the two up top is an act of desperation by any manager. And I just I couldn't I couldn't fathom it. It just looked panicky and it looked desperate and it looked like a manager who just didn't know what to do at that situation. And that really concerned me. Yeah, well, that formation was neither Arthur nor Martha, as they used to say. It, mm. it was a it was a dog's dinner. A um, dog's dinner is a can probably, I think probably the most any other technical cliche. term for it. Yeah, it was a dog's dinner, um, it, and and that's where you saw he was struggling. Okay, yeah, look, the players had let him down defensively and probably in midfield. Um, things weren't working out, but yeah, it, it it seemed all a bit clueless to me, and it just seemed like a game. That everyone wanted to wash their hands with and he you know what was it frank said afterwards there are performances out there i won't forget you know i've got a long memory or something you know um it does feel as though a he was very angry but i would have thought he's probably quite angry at himself as well because i think he 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 has to be angry at himself he can't he can't put this on the players solely and i don't think he will i don't think he's that type of manager but he, you know, he can't do a Mourinho and throw the players under the bus on this one because, as you say, his his strategic, technical approach to the game was poor, very poor. Yeah, it, it was, and um, you look, it, it feels as though everything now is about limping home. I mean, we are hamstrung. We've got muscle injuries all over the place as a team, and somehow. He has to find a way through these last few games to get us to where we need to be because I don't know. Look, it brings me back to the initial point is, and, and what you asked about, would I consider this season a success? I don't know now until we finish the season what success actually means for this year. I think with what we're trying to do, what we're trying to achieve with the signings we're making, the key players that we probably will need to bring in will probably need to have Champions League football dangled in front of them. I think Werner and Zayek were timed superbly in the signing of those. Um, It may have been more difficult if we tried to sign them, say, this week. Um, But I do think... It's imperative now that we find a way to get over the line, get Champions League qualification. If we look, if we we don't, we don't. We'll find a way to deal with it. But I think life will be a certain amount easier for Frank if we've got Champions League next season. I think that goes without saying, Kerry. Yeah. I mean, this was our heaviest league defeat since the opening game of the season against United when we were beaten four 0 
you know, and and I mentioned as well that we've shipped thirty three away goals this season. That's our joint most in a season since I think nineteen ninety seven. I mean, a long, long time. And it's not good, especially. I mean, Sheffield United have been good this year. When there's no nobody's going to say they haven't had a good season. They have, you know, they're they're, they're there or thereabouts. Um, you know, and I, I said as well that we've lost eleven league games this season. That's two more than any other team in the top eight. Yeah, you know, and we've we, conceded. The, the, sorry, go, go on. on. What, what were you going to say? I was going to say, and we've conceded forty nine goals in total. I know it's it's not good enough, and you know, I don't quite understand how we're third. I just don't understand it. You know, we are probably punching above our weight with this squad a little bit. But, you know, as I said at the very, very beginning of this, it's frustrating and disappointing because I know that we have enough quality to get over the line. Um, And we certainly shouldn't. I mean, I think for this, it wasn't so much the result. If you lose a game, you lose a game. It was the performance. I thought the performance was gutless and spineless and not, not Chelsea Football Club because we've always played with a certain dogged determination um, and if we lose you know we lose and yes it, it upsets us because nobody wants to lose a game of football but I think the manner of the defeat was what made me so depressed yeah exactly I mean Sheffield United might as well have been Bayern Munich yeah that, that's that's the gulf there was there um, with attitude and application so what is it with these players that haven't scored for years and years and years I mean McGoldrick wasn't that his first two goals forever you know, he hasn't yeah. scored, you know. What about Benteke against Crystal Palace? I mean, you know, he never scores and he scored against us. We're sort of letting players that can't score for Toffee score against us. Well, don't worry. We'll be signing them, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it was, it was miserable. And, and I do think Jorginho um, just, uh, I don't know. It was so weird because he was fantastic, you know, even though they still had the chance to 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 draw level with Palace, um, he was fantastic. You were right to flag that up because it was a magnificent cameo. And yet he just, uh, I don't know, it just Well, he didn't works work. in certain situations. Like, yes, you know, he, he does. Works, he works when you, when you, you know, when you're looking to hold on. To uh, when you're looking to hold on to a to a lead, he's very good because he's about possession. It's all about possession, um, you know. But when you're chasing a game, it doesn't work because he doesn't play at a high tempo. He's about possession. It's about move the ball, move the ball, move the ball, and that can be incredibly frustrating if you can't find an opening. The problem was, by the time he came on, he didn't have the creative players around him. By the time you know. You know, but sorry, by the but by the time that the game needed to be chased, you know the creative players have been had been taken off. So you know he's in the middle dictating play. hasn't got an outlet in Pulisic. Pulisic isn't there anymore. hasn't got an outlet in Barkley. hasn't got an outlet in Mount. You know, so where's he going to play the ball? You know what I mean? And it's like this idea that he slows the game down. I think that's a little bit of a lazy a lazy bit of punditry. I think he doesn't play at a high tempo because he needs the players around him to drive it forward. And if he hasn't got those players around him to do that, I don't quite know what he's supposed to do. So I don't think it's a fault of Jorginho. I think it's a fault of playing him in a, or, or keeping him in a game when we have to chase the game because that's not where his strengths are. Every player has his strength. And yeah, Jorginho's I, strength is 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 very obvious. And in a game when you're two, three nil down, Jorginho probably isn't going to cut it. So it's easy for him to become a lightning rod for criticism. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't criticise him. I, no, just I know think you were, it was, but a lot of people have. The, yeah, I, I think it was just he he was left alone. You know, I mean, he, I, I just 
I, I couldn't fathom it. I, as I say, the substitutions didn't work for me. Um, as a school report would say, you know, must try harder, the whole team and, and the management, because it wasn't good enough. The great well, I thing think is, the school report would say, you know, uh, Chelsea are not living up to their undoubted potential, you know, unless, <laughs> unless a lot of hard work is put in before the end of term, they're going to fail their exams. Yeah. No, okay. But that is actually the, the right way to sum it up. All right. Well, look, um, that's enough of that I it's think enough. it's enough it's enough we Stop should it. it's depressing we, it is it's far <laughs> too depressing so let's get on to the first worst and best and then we'll have a quick sum up of the games ahead and then we'll be going so here we go <laughs> this is Chris Howard with his first worst and best hi my name's Chris Howard I have been a Chelsea fan since I was seven years old oh, I'll give you an idea I'm roughly the same age as Andy Saunders but probably not as angry the first Chelsea game I ever went to was away at QPR on Boxing Day 1981. My uncle was a season ticket holder at QPR and took me and my younger brother with him. Uh, what do I remember that day? Uh, Clive Walker scoring, uh, the dreadful, dreadful plastic pitch, and Steve Francis uh, constantly missing the ball, bouncing over him and missing it. Um, also, we were sitting in the QPR stand under the TV gantry, and when we scored, the whole stand cheered, and I was a little bit taken aback at how many Chelsea fans were actually in the QPR end, but uh, I grew to learn that that became standard. The worst game I've ever been at uh, was in March 83, home to Barnsley. We lost 3-0. Uh, it was a dreadful performance. We had a poor team and there were only roughly probably 7,000 in Stamford Bridge that day. So for me, when everyone, anyone says to me, oh, you only support Chelsea because they're successful, I always point to this game and go, well, actually, no, I was there when we lost 3-0 in front of 7,000 people. The best game I've ever been to was the 1997 FA Cup final. I think for a Chelsea fan, uh, it was the first major trophy I'd seen us win. Uh, I'd been to two promotions and two uh, full members' cups. And it really made all the heartbreak, disappointment and everything else we'd suffered over the last probably 30, 20, 30 years um, made it all worthwhile. And it just proved to me that being a Chelsea fan, you enjoy the celebration as much as the disappointment. Uh, biggest memory of that day, I think, was scoring early and then spending the next 85 minutes in fear that Middlesbrough would equalise. Eddie Newton's late goal and then the overriding sense of relief and achievement when the final whistle went. And I just will never, ever beat that day for excitement, for exhilaration and for being with other people who felt the same way. So they're, they're my three games. And we're back. You know, the, the one thing is, in this time of no crowd, no possibility of going to games, you, you do remember things. I mean, he talks there about his first home, his first game going to QPR when they had the plastic pitch and it was like a home game. Um, QPR, 
always a great day out. And, and I love the fact that in his first game, he said, I, I couldn't understand it. We, you know, we're the away side and everyone stood up when we scored. It was like a home game. It is one of the weirdest games of the season whenever we play QPR, isn't it? It's a funny little ground. It's, 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 uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a strange stadium. It's really not built to watch football because of those stupid pillars everywhere. And I've told my story millions of times about my diabolical view ticket. Um, you are right on top of the action, so it's exciting from that point of view. Um, yeah, it's it's always it's always odd. I mean, I like I like QPR being in our division because it's always a it's always a feisty game. Yeah, it is. There's something on it. I don't know. It has more atmosphere about it than... of all the local derbies in inverted yeah. comments. That that's the one. Yeah, I, I think it is. There's something. There's something about it. It's it's got an edge. There is without an edge. a doubt. Certainly, yeah. walking to the ground, there's always an edge. Yeah, there is. All right. Well, look. Let's have a quick sum up. We have got Norwich City at home in the league, and then Manchester United at Wembley for whatever reason on Sunday in the FA Cup semi-final. Quick thoughts and quick predictions on those, please. Norwich are awful. I hope that the players have got enough about them and enough pride about them and the manager has got enough fire in his belly to inspire these players to go out and give Norwich a spanking. Because I think that there's one way to get our season back on track or you know the last three games back on track is to go and take the game to Norwich and destroy them and so I'm going to hope and it's hope more than more than knowledge uh, that we're going to beat them 4-0 Whoa, cracking I'm really looking forward to it Man United I think it's going to be a very very difficult game but you know it's, it might be one of those anomalies where we rise to the occasion so and it's the cup and I think that We've got, you know, we've they've got a bit of a hoodoo over us this season. We need to beat them at least once this season. You know, the, of the four games that we played, it would be nice to win one of them. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, uncharacteristically for me, and be glass half full and say it's going to be a tight game. We're going to win two one. Excellent. Uh, yeah, I'll go with both of those. Um, I'm going to go for three uh, nil Norwich. And uh, I'm going to go, we win on penalties against Ooh. United. <laughs> Please don't do that. I don't think my heart could take it. <laughs> well, you know, I, I just think our team have only got three more opportunities, maybe four, uh, to give us pain. So <laughs> I'm sure they'll find a way to do it. Um, all right. Well, look, we're, we're out of time. Um, Andy, thanks as always. Uh, do you want to give a roundup of uh, all the contact details? Yeah, if you want to follow us uh, on Twitter, you can follow me um, at Mr. A. Saunders. If you want to follow Kerry, it's Kerry Levy 1, C-E-R-I-L-E-V-Y. No, sorry, that's wrong. Uh, If you want to follow Kerry on Twitter, it's at Kerry Levy, no one. So C-E-R-I-L-E-V-Y. If you want to follow uh, the podcast, it's at Chelsea Podcast. Uh, On Instagram, it is at Kerry Levy 1. Uh, C-E-R-I-L-E-V-Y uh, one. Um, I'm at One True Saunders and the podcast is at The Chels Podcast Brilliant, well that's it that rounds up another week and we will be back next week Alright, cheers Andy cheers, and mate. see you all soon. soon Cheers mate Wasn't that a great podcast? Now if you've got 90 seconds spare in your day come and listen to ours It's called What Has He Said Now? and is available wherever you've got this podcast. You're going to lose a number of people to the flu.
This is a playback media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at chelseapodcast.net. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.